listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So this morning, I want to challenge how we often view God's word or his law, actually. So we know of his law, and when Paul is referring to this, he's talking about the law that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. You know it as the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words. And you know what happens is we see these posted maybe in Grandma's house, or you memorized them uh, as a kid. You can maybe get them in somewhat of an order. And we talk about the Ten Commandments, and it's almost like this, this pride wells up in us. And man, we get really offended if a courthouse or a city would dare to take those down. But I want to challenge how we view God's law today. In fact, when we look at it, it should actually bring a full sense of dread. And you're going to see that in Paul this morning. So Romans chapter 7, it's important to know that this chapter is broken up into three main arguments or three main points. And last week, Fredo did a great job of walking through the first six verses where Paul talked about our relationship with the law and he used the illustration of marriage. Well, today Paul is going to talk about the relation between law and sin. And he's going to clear up some misconceptions. Then next week, we will close up chapter 7 with the conflict between law and us. Because in the minds of Paul's readers, there is a very wrong conclusion about something. And Paul kind of wants to set the record straight. And what has happened is, no one likes to be falsely accused of something. It happens in my home all the time, and no one likes to be falsely accused of something. That's what's happening, what we're reading today, is that not someone has been falsely accused of someone, but the very law of God, and Paul wants to set that straight. And so what he has done, he has made many statements about God's law. If you went all the way back to chapter 2, he says the law was given to a specific group of people, God's people called Israel. And then he says, you will be judged by this law. He tells them not to be just hearers of the law, that are righteous, but to obey it. He then said, but the problem is some of those are outside the law, the Gentiles, the uncircumcised, and they often act more like God's children than those that actually have the law. Well, then in chapter 3, he makes the statement that no one can be justified by the law. The law isn't incomplete, but there has never been a human that could fulfill the law in the way that it needed to be, to keep the law in all of its wholeness. So allow that to set in for just a moment. God sets a standard. And He sets the standard so high that no one can reach it. He then says, you are going to be judged by that very law. And on the surface, that doesn't seem very fair, does it? That God is going to set the bar so high that no one can reach it. And if that isn't enough, he's going to judge everyone by a law, by a standard that they cannot reach. But that's exactly what has happened. 
In fact, if God had left humanity in this, that hopeless state, he would have been absolutely just to do so. But because he is full of mercy and he is full of grace, he provided a solution or he provided a way. And God provided a someone, his very own son, to come and to obey the law, the law that we never could. And that is why Advent is so important. To think about the coming of the one that would fulfill the law. The one that would come so that we could be declared righteous even though we are not. So ultimately the law came not to save anyone. It never could. That was never the purpose. But it came to show our inability to save ourselves And that's the point Paul is going to make today. But here's what you'll see. You'll see three main things. You'll see the law is going to do three things. The first thing the law is going to do, it's going to reveal sin. And I know it's going to sound like horrible news, but it's actually great news. It's then going to say that the law activates sin. It seems like even more worse news, but it's absolutely great news. Then the law will show our magnitude or the magnitude of our Sin. Once again, it doesn't sound like great news, but it's absolutely the best news you could hear this morning. Because Paul is going to get very personal this morning. If you read through the first six chapters, if you're an English person, you notice things like pronouns. And you notice that Paul has been speaking in third person until he gets to the middle of chapter 7. And then he's going to make a big change because Paul is going to get very, very personal. And he's going to share a very personal experience that he went through. And what's happening is that, have you ever had this kind of view of yourself? And then all of a sudden, what you thought about yourself, all of a sudden just gets completely torn down. It was like me growing up in a very small town. And I thought I was it. I was trying to think of a better thing, but I thought, oh, don't say that. That may sound bad. I really thought I was it. I was Mr. Baseball. I mean, everybody wanted me on their team. When baseball season came, and I'm not saying, I mean, that was just my thing. I loved baseball, and I was good at it until I moved to a much bigger town. And then I realized, oh, wait, I was just a big fish in a small pond. When that pond got much bigger, man, my confidence in who I was completely crumbled. In fact, it was so bad, I refused to try. I said, there's no way I can keep up with those guys. But I had this false view of who I actually was. And Paul has got something going on that everything he's experiencing, everything he is trusting in is going to come crashing down. But it's absolutely the best thing that could happen for Paul. Because look at verse 7. It begins once again with a question. What shall we say then that the law is sin? And he says, by no means. So the question's really straightforward. He says, Paul, is the law sin or is the law sinful? But why would they ask this? The reason is, I believe they're thinking, if the law shows us what we should do and what we should not do, if God just left that out, then we really wouldn't know of sin. And Paul says, by no means. And ignorance is no excuse. Ignorance is not bliss. But Paul's answer is just as straightforward. He says, by no means, in no way, shape, form, or fashion is that true. So he's going to explain then what is the relationship between God's law 
and sin. And the first thing he shows is that the law reveals sin. He says, yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So Paul's speaking from a very personal place. He's speaking from experience. But the second thing is notice, Paul is not saying if there was no law, there would be no sin. That's not what he's saying. He's saying he would not know what sin is if it wasn't for the law. So he says the law, don't get me wrong, he says the law is not sin. The law does not cause sin. The law is not responsible for sin. It only works as a mirror, as James tells us, that it reveals sin. So the law is not the problem. Sin is. Well, he then gives a very, very personal example. Because remember who Paul is. Paul is a Jew of Jews. He grew up in a Jewish home. He grew up going to Jewish schools. Guess what they studied? They studied the law of God. He became an expert on this. When he graduated, he was privileged to work underneath and follow a rabbi and eventually became a Pharisee. This was an elite group of men that studied and interpreted the law for everyone else. And this was Paul. And notice what Paul goes on to say. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So he uses the example of coveting. So if you go to Exodus chapter 20, you could go to Deuteronomy 5, you find the 10 words or the 10 commandments. And if you look at them in order, notice, here they are. No other gods, he says you should have no other gods before me. No idols, meaning you don't make of a, a carved image of anything of the likeness of anything in heaven. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. We say amen. Shall not murder. Do not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Shall not bear false witness. And then the last one, you shall not covet. It says do not cover your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, servants, animals, or anything that is your neighbor's. So how fitting in the time of commercialism, the greatest time of commercialism of the year, Paul happens to pick coveting. So why would he do that? Why is that the example that he picks? Well, I think for one reason, I think this is something that's very personal for Paul. Maybe this is something that he is now realizing is something he struggles with. He's, he's maybe being vulnerable here. But the other reason is because he's a Pharisee. Because he's a Pharisee, they saw sin only in terms of external actions. That's how they viewed the law. Meaning, if they were, did not perform some evil acts and they did the positive ones, they were not guilty of sin. And this is how Paul saw himself. <clears throat> Meaning, he would look at this list... I don't have any idols in my home. I remember the Sabbath each and every week. I do not take the Lord's name in vain. I've not murdered. <clears throat> I haven't committed adultery. I haven't stolen. I haven't lied. So in Paul's eyes, he is actually not sinning because the Pharisees, they saw sin only as external acts. But coveting is different. Coveting is this 
desire. It, it, it's this longing for something or, dis, or someone. Coveting is to long or to want to have something or to do something. It means to not be content with what God has given you. Coveting is not simply just wanting, though. It, it becomes this kind of adulterous longing for more than what God has given you. It could be more beauty. It could be more wealth. It could be more approval. It could be more popularity. And the list goes on and on and on. But the other nine commandments, you know what happens when you study these? They are all broken. The other nine are all broken through sins that originate in guess where? In coveting. Go all the way back to the garden where we see sin in its fullness. Here you have Adam and Eve and they had everything they could possibly want. And there was a promise. And it said, eat what God was forbidden you to do and you will become like God. You see, there is this desire for something that God has not given them. And Satan used the idea of coveting to lure them in. So coveting, what is different about it is coveting cannot be reduced to just external actions. It's an inward attitude. And Paul is saying that sin is more than just violating a set of rules. So the first thing Paul wants his readers to know is that the law is not sin. He wants them to understand that. But then he wants them to understand the law does something. It reveals to us what sin actually is. But it does more than just that. The next thing it does, he says, it activates sin. Look at verse 8. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. So he makes really two profound truths here. One, he says sin's like a parasite. It's looking to attach itself to something so that it could then be carried out. But then he says that the law activates sin. Paul says that when the law says do not covet, when he understood that, guess what he wanted to do more and more. It produced in him all kinds of covetousness. In fact, when something is prohibited, when you're told not to do something, sometimes that's exactly what we want to do just because we're told not to. I mean, it's like these people. You tell them don't swim, and guess what they want to do? Don't swim. The next one says don't play on the pipe. And what is everybody going to do? They're going to play on the pipe because all of us have this thing in us called perversity. And it's this thing of wanting to do something just because it's prohibited. Just because we're told not to makes us want to do that. So Paul's point is that until the command against this evil thing comes to us, we may feel little urge to do it. But when we hear a command, because of the evil that lives in us, perversity is stirred up and it may take over. He says the law activates sin and sin is just looking for an opportunity for it to happen. In fact, the more a person is exposed to God's law, the more that sinful force will be activated into action. Doesn't that begin to kind of change how you view 
the Ten Commandments, then when we see it, it's actually going to begin stirring something in us to want to do against all the things it is saying. But before we move on, I want to make sure we understand the last sentence. He says, For apart from the law, sin lies dead. And we have to understand, this is where you kind of got to get into the languages a little bit, not, not too much. But what does he mean when sin lies dead? Does he mean that sin did not exist, that it was not there? That's not what Paul's saying. He's using this word to describe something that is there, but it's, it's kind of laying dormant. It, it's asleep. But then when the law came for apart from the law, sin is lying dead. It, it's just lying and waiting for an opportunity. But law comes along and it activates the sin that is already there. Well, then Paul shares a very personal experience with his readers. Look at verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law. At least that's his perspective and we'll talk about it. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. So Paul is speaking about how he saw himself or what he thought about his life. And Paul would have grown up knowing the law from a very young age. And as he got older, following all the beliefs and traditions of the Pharisee, he felt that he was alive more than anyone. He felt like he was doing this thing better than anyone else. He thought he was keeping the law. He said, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. But when he finally had his eyes open to see the law correctly, he began to see his life and sin differently. He says, that's when I realized I was actually dead. I mean, he thought he was alive, and, but then he realized he was dead. And doesn't that sound like horrible news? To think all the things you had built your life upon came crumbling down everything you'd put your hope and your faith and your trust in, all of a sudden was torn down. But this is absolutely the best news Paul could ever have realized. And I'm convinced this is the greatest danger that we will probably face in the Western church, is that there are many people that will come through the doors of churches who have a false sense of security. Now I want you to know as a dad, as a pastor, raising their family in church, this is one of my greatest fears. It's not that there are many that are dead that don't realize it, even though I know that's true. And we pray each and every week that God would open their eyes to see the truth. But in our culture, there are probably even more who think they are alive to God but are actually dead because they are trusting in all the wrong things. They think it's because they're doing all of these things and I go to church and I memorize scripture and I'm serving this way. I'm doing all of these things that must make me right with God. So we should all each and every week stop and examine ourselves and we will do that again at the end of the service. So use these words from Paul personally this morning. Look at verse 10. The very commandment that promised life That's what it promised. If you'll do this, you will have life. But it proved to be death to me. So what happened? For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, it deceived me. 
And through it, it killed me. See, he was following all of these commands and he thought by doing all of these things, by following all the external outside obedience, that that would make him right and give him life. But when he saw the law correctly, he realized that it actually brought death. It allowed him to see himself in relation to God correctly. But notice sin again. What does it do? It seized an opportunity. And it deceived him. It convinced him that he was doing all the right things. But when the power of God broke through, it realized that it brought death. But notice it wasn't the law. It was not the law that brought him death. The law simply revealed his true sinful self. In the law, it activated the sin that really lived within him. He finally realized it. And this is actually great news for Paul. As painful as it must have been to think everything that I thought was right, I was trusting in the wrong things and they came crumbling down. So then it even gets worse. The last thing you see is the law shows the magnitude of our sin. Look at this. It says in verse 12, So the law, just so that we're clear, it's holy. The commandment is holy, meaning it is different than any other law in the land. It's set apart. It's righteous, meaning it's pure. It's correct. It can be trusted. And it's good. It's for our benefit. So then the question, notice in verse 13. Did that which is good, if that's what you're saying, Paul, then bring death to me? If the law is so good, why does it not bring good news? Why does it bring death? And notice what it says. By no means. It was sin. It was our very own sin. It wasn't the law that brings death. It was our very own sin. And the law simply comes to reveal the truth. So then why does God give a law? Why does he set a standard that is so high that every creature he creates will never be able to reach it? And then he's going to turn around and judge every created being by that standard. I think the answer is at the end of that verse. Producing death in me. Realize that's what God is after. He wants to produce a death in us. In me, through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment, might become sinful beyond measure. So the law is meant to expose our true nature. And notice those last three words. Sin beyond measure. Meaning too great to even count. So how in the world can that be good news? That there is a standard so high, so pure, so right, that you'll never be able to reach it. Not even on your best day. And God's going to turn around and judge you for it. When our day and time, we strive, I think, to make ourselves feel really good. There's this awareness of 
needing a good self-image. And on one hand, I get that. You know, there are verses that support that. You were created in God's image. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And there is a time and a place for that. But at the same time, we have to be really careful. Because in a day and time where we fight so hard to have a positive view of ourselves, we might lose sight of who we really are at the core. That we are sinful beings. In fact, we are too sinful to even measure. Because only a true awareness of our sin can truly show us our need for the gospel. So the law is to reveal our sinfulness and our inability to keep it. And knowing I'm going to be judged by that. And at the same time, it reveals our need of a deliverance that only the grace of God can give. And so we need the law to convict us of sin so that we can correctly see our need for the grace of God in Christ. And so the law, just like with Paul, it should bring us to the end of ourselves. So the next time you see it hanging up in grandma's kitchen, or you walk in some building and there it is boldly proclaimed, man, it should bring a sense of dread, of knowing that's the standard and I will never be able to reach it. And at the same time, it should bring a great sense of hope, of knowing that God sent a solution and His name was Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I would ask you, have you come to the end of yourself? Have you ever had everything you are trusting in to make you right before God torn down? Or are you still thinking there's no way that your sin is really so bad that a God would allow you to spend eternity in hell? And I pray that God would give you eyes to see it rightly this morning that you would turn to him and realizing there's no goodness in me, not even on my best day would I ever come close. But if you are a believer, you know, every day we grow in the Lord, we should become more aware that even though we have been born again and our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we are thoroughly and disgustingly sinful because the more we understand God's law, the more we see our sin as utterly sinful. You know what happens? The more we will appreciate and value what God has done for us through His Son. And so the law, it should actually be horrible news. Because you know what it does? It reveals sin. It activates it. And then it shows the magnitude of our sin. But at the same time, the law should lead us to the gospel. Because embracing the gospel is abandoning everything. And I mean everything that you are placing your hope and confidence in to make you right before God. And having everything torn down. So that your only hope is in the one that came to live the life that you could never live. And die the death that you deserve. You know, we're living in a time now. It's that time of year that people seem to be uh, not more aware, but, but this idea of, 
of more open to hearing about Jesus Christ. And this, yesterday I was so convicted about this, I can't let you go without sharing it with you. If you know this about me, I'm a little bit introverted. And I know I can fake some of you out, but I really am a little bit introverted. And that just means I'm usually just kind of into myself. You can call it sin. I call it introverted. And what happens is, is I usually lose sight of everything because I get so focused on this is what I'm going to do, and I need to get it done as fast and as efficient as possible. So yesterday was one of those days. It was like three trips to Home Depot, two trips to Rockmore, and three trips to the dollar store. It's just one of those days. We're going through Brookshire's yesterday, and Marla was with me. And Man, I'm usually, I'm in the zone, I'm going to pay, I'm going to get my stuff, and I'm going to leave and get on about my business. And Marla stopped, being the saint that she is, she just happened to say, well, how are you today? And I looked up, I thought she's talking to me, I thought, what in the world, you've been with me all day. I mean, she's talking to that person checking us out. And that lady said, well, thank you for asking, but Thanksgiving was horrible. And we had all these plans, and my family was going to get together, but my niece ran off. We could not find her. It took hours and hours. We didn't get home till 4 o'clock. Nothing worked out. We ended up having to take her to the emergency room. But she looked at her, and she said, thank you for asking. And I'm checking out yesterday. as the last trip to the dollar store, and two people in front of me. And this guy just stopped, and she said, thank you. And he said, well, how are you? How was your Thanksgiving? And she said, it was horrible. She said, nothing worked out, and Good Friday was hectic, but it's okay. And he said, well, I just want you to know, I'm going to be praying that the Lord would bless you. So in those moments, knowing that working in retail, it is one of the hardest seasons of the year. But may we have eyes to see people. Maybe we take a moment to just stop and say, how are you? How can I pray for you this week? And sharing with them the hope that we have in the gospel, even during this busy season. And so this morning, I am so thankful that we get to set today in lighting of the Advent candle of the hope and prophecy and closing out this morning with communion. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.